I'm Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co., I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on This week on Conversations of Inspiration, I had the great pleasure of chatting to Joanne Hawker, designer of greeting cards and accessories. Joanne is also the brains behind the Instagram challenge and phenomenon March Meet the Maker, a tool to help shine a light on the makers across the world by challenging them to share their ideas, favourites and what inspires them. As Joanne said, allowing them to share their creative talents without feeling like they're selling to anyone. Joanne and I got to know each other better at my home where we talked about the journey from working full-time on a pepper farm in Devon to realising her dream of quitting her job and running her own successful small business. Why she had the calling to create such a movement of people and what that power of the community has given her and the creatives that she champions. I love shining a light on the names of the future, especially those who are dedicated to doing their bit in making running a small business less of a lonely place. Hi, Joanne. Thank you so much for being on my podcast today, especially as you've made the journey from beautiful Somerset countryside to sit on my sofa with me now. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You're so welcome. It's so lovely to actually meet you in person. We've got tea, we're surrounded by dogs, we're living the good life this morning. So going back, I think I discovered you when you first joined Not on the High Street back in 2012 with your lovely cards and accessories. And I think most people now, though, will know your name from your Instagram challenge, March Meet the Maker, which you created. And now I think March might be one of my most favourite favorite months because of this challenge. The weather is starting to cheer up, the flowers are coming out, the birds are singing, and then I get a lovely stream on my Instagram of makers' faces or glimpses into their studios, which I never used to get, and that was all down to you for creating this. So I can't wait to talk to you about it at all. But first, let's go back to the beginning. I'd love to hear your story where your passion for creating came from and what led you to starting your own small business. Well, thank you for having me here today. It's so lovely to be here. I think think it was my primary school that started everything off because I call it my basic art training because it wasn't the best school from an educational standpoint. It failed Ofsted, I think. And they tried to close it down because all we did was art. We made our own books. So when I went up to middle school and I got given exercise books, it was pretty weird. It's like, why are you giving me books? I know how to make my own. We did lino cutting. We spent all day drawing. We made curtains for the classroom. We did made tablecloths. So, 
yeah, I think it all started there. And then it was encouraged by my mum. One of my earliest memories is me in the bathtub with a packet of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle bath pens and just covering the bathroom in scribbles. My goodness. But I don't think she was very happy when no. I decided to colour in the radiator bright green thereafter. But yeah, so I think it was initially started at primary school. Then I just found my way into it through the rest of my school years. And so that's the beginning stage where you're colouring the bathtub with pens. You then took that creativity. And how did you then hone in on knowing that you wanted to run your own small business? So you've always been creative, but you, you think it all started at school. It definitely all started at school. But I, I don't think I ever knew that I wanted to start my own business. I kind of accidentally fell into that. Because at uni and at school, we was, it was never really an option. Or was, you was never taught how to go and run your own business. You was taught how to go and get a job and how to do interviews and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I fell into that and didn't really have a dream to start my own. It, it came about when I was drawing every night after work. And before I knew it, I had a sketchbook full of ideas and I didn't know what to do with them. So um, I put them into Photoshop and made them into like full-on illustrations and thought I'd give it a go um, on selling prints on Etsy. What was your job at the time? I worked on a pepper farm. Picking peppers? Um, I didn't pick them. I was a crop worker, so yeah. I had about 250,000 plants to look after. Oh my goodness. And so I was just trimming and making sure that they grew properly and spotted any bugs and that kind of thing. That was my stopgap after uni when I was supposed to be looking for jobs and I accidentally stayed there for six years. <laughs> <laughs> so whilst you're looking after these plants, you were obviously dreaming then and going home, sketching. Did you, did you realise that you were actually starting a business or was it just sort of a hobby? Well, it started as a hobby, a little bit of extra pocket money and I thought, I'll, I'll just see where this goes. If someone buys one thing, then that's a bonus. It just makes it feel like I haven't failed. <laughs> so I think I realised it was turning into a business when I joined NOFS and then I got a lot more sales. It took me over a year to get my first sale on Etsy because I did everything so badly because I had no idea what I was doing. And then I joined NOFS and then things started picking up a bit. And then I realised that actually maybe I could do this full time. And because my day job, I could just go into autopilot and I would zone out and my hands would do all the work. And I just spent all day thinking well what can I do next or when I get home I need to do that or new ideas so you you were planning with the peppers yeah and so it, you started selling on Etsy in 2010 you joined not on the high street in 2012 which is you know now six years ago you those early early days when you you were dreaming up your business and actually there was an Instagram was there at that at that time as well how did you build the momentum up of sales well, the early days were tough because I had no idea what SEO was, even was. I had no idea what made a good photograph. If you scroll back to like the first ever pictures on Etsy, they're hilarious. They are so dark. They are so wonky. You can't even see what the product is half the time. But um, yeah, so there was a lot of learning in the beginning. But then I think it was the more I added, I realised the more chance I had of being seen. And then I realised that there was, um, what are they called? Themes and trends, was it? Yes, 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 we did, yeah. yeah. So we would find out ourselves what was what was happening in the big wide world and send them to partners just in case they haven't picked up on a trend or something that's going on. And so did that, ha that yeah. help you? So I would download those and I would go through and highlight everything that spoke to me for I could make something to do with that. I'd take them on holiday and do them on the evenings or on the plane, um, 
because then it, I didn't feel so bad that I, I wasn't working. So then I'd pick the key things from that and then add more and more and more products that way. And I think somebody told me that the more you add, the more likely you are to be seen. And I just went on a mad one and added as much as I possibly could. And you did. So just testing the market, I suppose, as well, because then you're showing consumers your entire range, your entire breadth of your creativity. I always think how nerve wracking it is in those early days for makers. You're putting everything, your head, your heart, your hands, your soul into the products, and then you launch them to the public. It must be such a scary moment, especially if it's slow to get sales, which it always, always is. It reminds me of Not on the High Street when we launched back in 2006 we had this sort of I don't know misconception that everyone should know who we were on day one and we were expecting an avalanche of orders and it was like tumbleweed we used to have this tiny little bell and if an order came in you know someone would ring the bell actually Carrie my sister would ring this bell and sometimes it would ring once a day if we were lucky and everyone would cheer in the office but sometimes in a week it could ring maybe two times. And so it was just the most nerve-wracking time. Thankfully, it picked up and we had to get rid of the bell because it, it, it started to work. When did things start picking up for you? And was there a certain product that did this or a piece of press or social media? When did you start to, you know, stop the peppers and started to get busy? Yeah, well, I actually remember my very first busy day. It was back in... 2014 it was either in June or July and I just made a new product because I'd had some tags printed and the product I made those for didn't sell particularly well so how could I use these so I made a personalized pocket mirror for teachers and they started to take off and it was completely accidental I wasn't expecting anything to come of it and then I was checking my um, phone before I come home from work and I was like oh my god I have 30 orders I have to cycle home as fast as I can and I ditched my bike in the hedge and just ran straight up into my mum's spare room and actually no I think it was on her dining room table at that point and just started making them but cause like before then I'd only get maybe like one or two orders a week so 30 was quite a lot for me um, because that uh, I hadn't streamlined any of my processes it was complete chaos but um, lucky for me my my mum was on hand and she really enjoyed packing so that's one of the things I miss about not living at home is when I get busy I was like here mum <laughs> <laughs> I need some help yeah. I need some help I remember those mirrors actually that's so bizarre that, that you said that because I actually really really remember giving one to one of Harry's teachers and so gosh that takes me back so you had a full-time job which is you know, often so much the way, you know, people have full-time jobs and they do it in the evening or they do it in the morning before they go. And I often advise that this is one of the best ways to start, keeping your small business as your side business. But it then reaches that point, doesn't it, with critical mass where you're burning the candle at both ends and it's completely exhausting. Or you have to make that choice because you literally cannot continue to jack in the day job and work full time on your business. What was it like for you? And do you have any advice for the community listening on how to manage that transition period? Well, I was really lucky with my day job because I had a really early start and quite an early finish because being in a glass house, it gets really hot. So you don't have to stay right to the end of the day. So I was had a few more hours in the evening or if I needed to get to the, the post office and like that. 
Um, it got to the point where I didn't actually have a social life anymore. So even the weekends, I would try and cram in as much as I could, which was really quite sad, but then I knew that's what I had to do. It was really, really hard to do, but I think once I'd done the sums and realised that, yes, I could I could make a living out of doing what I love doing, and then it was just time, matter of time to write the resignation, really. But I think the thing that pushed me the most was the fact that we just bought a new house in Taunton, and I didn't want to make the commute to somewhere that didn't appreciate me for what I did. Um, and that sounds... Quite no, up yeah. myself, but no, not at all. You know, well, you you discovered what you were good at, and where you were working didn't didn't necessarily appreciate it. You know, it's a it's a lot of self discovery, isn't it? Small, running a small yeah. business. No, I did. I felt really guilty leaving, even though I know they probably didn't care. Because when I handed in my resignation, my boss that was the last time I spoke to my boss. He avoided me for a month after that, and I left without saying goodbye. So that that was really sad. But I think. You need to, if you're going to do it, you need to use your time well. Because I think that I was probably more productive when I had a full-time job because I knew that I had less hours to get things done in. And now I'm a little bit more guilty of scrolling through Instagram for a bit longer than I should be. So taking that leap of faith is so terrifying. But you really do have to say, what is the worst that can happen? You can't live in regret and not take that leap of faith. Would you agree in that? Was that very much what you did? Yeah, it got to the point where we bought our house. Well, we bought it in June, but I didn't move into October because I felt so guilty about leaving my day job during peak season. So I kind of dug my heels in a little bit. I didn't want to make the commute. Um, and as I wasn't really enjoying it anyway. I thought, well, now's probably the right time to go. But I went at it with the attitude that if I needed to, um, I could just go and find another job and make up the money. Because it's not the end of the world. It's not failing. It's just, it's just a lesson. So when you resigned, yeah. um, what, did you have the support of everybody or did they think you were a bit nuts? I think by the time I resigned, they understood what I was doing. But at the start, maybe not so much. But I'm lucky in that my dad is actually self-employed as well. So I think he kind he of... got it. He got it, yeah. So he's an antique dealer. So yeah, he understands the whole self-employed life. And I think my mum was just like, yeah, just go for it. I think you can do it. Because obviously she's been helping during the busy part. So I think she knew that it would all work out. And if not, I'll just get another job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the most important thing is not to be afraid to ask for help like when you do get busy. Because I would have been completely lost without my mum. It then moved on, didn't it? So you were building your business. It was very much yourself making, creating, sending out orders. Those early days of starting up um, probably are hard to remember now, but it is pretty chaotic. You know, you're having to not only build a business, but you're also having to work out how you build a business. I'm wondering from the young you building a business to today, have your processes changed? Have you become more organised? Yeah, they've changed loads. Back in the day, I would just come home from work, chuck everything down, make orders. And then if I had any spare time, I would look at what I could make next or I would do my accounts or I would look at the list that I've got on a tiny scrap piece of paper somewhere on my desk at what needed to be doing. So now I've got a kind of like a schedule for everything. So Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, first thing I do is orders, nothing else. Then in the afternoons, I will go to the sorting office and then if the free time after that I will try and squeeze in any smaller jobs that need doing 
Um, so say maybe I'll spend an hour on accounts or I'll start thinking up my social media content, just make a list. On Tuesday and Thursdays, if I need to be doing content, I'll do it then because that is when the sunlight is best in the in the office. And then I've also, well, it's more of a recent addition. I've started blocking in things that mean that I'm going to help to push my business forward so that I'm working on my business, not in my business. And I try to do one of those at least every day if I can, but hopefully maybe three a week. That's really, really interesting. I have the same thing that it, you know, when you get into your business, you can become so obsessed with what you're doing that the sort of perspective of looking back out, you know, out at it doesn't happen, does it? You don't have that time and you don't prioritise that time. So actually marking it out in your diary as a like meeting with yourself is so important. And I've done it now for years. And it's the only time that I'm just, you have to be disciplined to say, no, this is one of the most important meetings of the week, Holly. Um, So it's a really interesting to hear. And as I said in the beginning of this interview, you live in beautiful English Somerset countryside. And I think something that was momentous for me when founding Not in the High Street was that it helped give people the ability to work anywhere. At the time when Instagram didn't exist, and it was just a privilege to hear their stories. Makers working in Airstream caravans in the Lake District, to farms in Cumbria, to cabins in Abergavenny. But we're now in this incredible moment in time where you have makers that really are the new entrepreneurs, and they can sell to anybody all over the world in their tiny studios, thanks to the internet. Was living in the countryside one of your main driving forces behind starting your business from getting to know you a little through Instagram? We haven't met face to face before. It seems that being in nature is quite important to you. Well, we're lucky that because we both work from home with Ross being a freelance infographic designer and myself running an online shop, we can run our businesses from almost anywhere. So we both grew up in the countryside, so... This is where we we found ourselves, which is quite handy because when you get stressed or you're having a bad day, you can just go for a wander across the fields and it's just less stressful than living in the city, I find. Yeah, Yeah, I enjoy it much more. I couldn't agree more. It sounds idyllic. Do you ever feel cut off where you live or has Instagram overcome that sort of sense of isolation? Well, sometimes I feel like I'm missing out, especially with Bristol, because they've got such a good creative scene. And they always got lots of really cool stuff going on there. But I've got my little Etsy team that we meet up, we'll try to meet up once a month and chat with other makers that way. But yeah, like you said, people on Instagram completely make up for it. Oh, it's, it's a wonderful community that you've built, which leads me into in January 2016, you started this phenomenon called March Meet the Maker, which is an Instagram challenge that runs throughout March every year and a week in November too, which encourages, engages and inspires the creative community to come together and share their stories. Well, that's it in a nutshell, but I'd love you to explain it in more detail for our listeners and how the whole concept came about. Well, every January, I always find myself stuck in a huge rut and I've got no idea what to share. And I don't know why it's a January thing, it just is. And then one particular January, I went looking for a challenge. I thought, there must be something out there telling me what to post. And I couldn't find anything. So I thought, maybe I might make my own. And I spoke to my friends about it and they was like, yeah, yeah, go on and do it. So I was like, all right, maybe I will. 
So um, there's a prompt for every day in March. So for example, one of them might be your favorite to make. So you take a picture of obviously your favorite thing to make, and then you describe it and you say why it's your favorite, how you make it. And you just tell people about it. Because I think a lot of people don't like telling people what they make, what's their favorite. And it all kind of feels a little bit salesy. I'm guilty of that. There was one Christmas, someone come up to me and was like, oh, I really like your feed, but by the way, what do you actually do? And I think by doing something like this, you're, you're actually telling people what you do. I come across this a lot. It's quite British as well. We feel quite boastful if we say what we do, but actually you are, you know, that's what you do and you are trying to make a living. So you're in allowing that conversation to happen under this guise of meeting the makers. Exactly. So it's so inspiring, so clever. If a small business is listening who maybe hasn't heard about the challenges before, but wants to get involved, how do they? And does it matter if they've missed a few days? No, well, it's deadly to get involved. Um, obviously, it started on the 1st of March, but you can either play catch up or you can just start wherever it suits you. There's no pressure to do absolutely every single day. If there's some that don't suit you, then that's fine. You're more than welcome to skip those. It's meant to be fun. I don't want it to be turned into something stressful. But if you do want to take part, it's really simple. All you need to do is post an image daily on the theme of that day and tell us about it and use the hashtag MarchMeetTheMaker. Um, it's a good excuse to connect with other makers, um, make friends, chat with people in your field. And I've also, um, every day, like to feature some of my favourites as well, because I find so many amazing new people to follow through it. But it would just be nice to do a little daily roundup too. Yeah, it really is. And I was interested to hear, so you must have peaks and troughs like us all in retail, but you've got this March month that I can imagine is super busy. How do you deal with the intensity of what you've created? Even though you love it, it must be pretty um, full on. Yeah, March is crazy. I've Last March, I don't think I did any work for myself. I churned out orders and I think that was as much as I did and it just flew by and I just look, look back through my diary and I was like I haven't done any work but I wouldn't change it for the world because I just love doing it I love connecting with other people and learning about them and making new friends and finding people to follow and it has almost become a part of my work now I think I can imagine yeah. it does so you don't get you don't get away in March then no I don't go on holiday no, my husband goes off skiing, but I don't get to go. <laughs> <laughs> and just generally, though, I know you started it because you wanted to be inspired and you didn't know what to do in January. But it's obviously a love of yours as well now. What started is just trying to get some inspiration has turned into something much, much more. Where has this love of championing others come from? I think it probably came from the very first challenge because people loved it so much more than I thought they would. Everyone was just so kind to me that I thought I just want to give something back. And now I've got a relatively big following, well, for me anyway. I just want to use it for good. And if I can shout about people here and there, then why not? You must hear so many lovely stories. I hear so many lovely stories, but you must as well. You know, coming together, these friendships, the new customers. I bet there's loads of collaborations that have happened. What's the best story that you have heard and um, that's come through your Meet the Maker? When I did the second one, I went through and screenshot all the lovely things that people had said this challenge had helped them with. So like when I'm having a bad day, I'll just go and, go and read those. 
but some of the best is that it's given a few people the chance to press open on their online shops. Like at the start of March, it might have been the hobby, but by the end of March, it, it turned into a business, which I think is really, really lovely. Some people have said it's given them newfound confidence. Um, there's a sense of community and that they actually belong to something. I think those are the best things that can come from it, really. Each week on Conversations of Inspiration, we're running a competition with our partner, NatWest, where if you are a small business or independent, you are in with a chance to win this very ad break coming up. A free advert to showcase your business to hundreds of thousands of listeners, thanks to NatWest's generosity. This week on our ad break is New Designs. Over to you. We know it's terribly un-British to blow your own trumpet, but it's an advert after all. So at New Designs, we do awesome things with awesome brands. Created by myself, Emma Darby, and my sister, Chess, we're on a rampage to shake up and change the way startup and challenger brands work with the creative services. Having both spent time in the glitzy agency world, myself at Procter & Gamble and top retail design agencies, and my sister in advertising and then moving to Propcorn, we both started to get super frustrated with how the agency model was working with the new, exciting and fast-moving companies which were beginning to pop up everywhere. At New Designs, we're here to be the creative bolt-on to small companies by restructuring the existing over-processed agency system, removing all of this unnecessary marketing fluff and acronyms and using our time instead to be nimble, cost-efficient and equally passionate about our clients' ambitions. We know that every pound of your marketing budget is personal and it's not just handed to you by a marketing director with no emotional attachment, which is why we're about creating a team of talent that fits to your brief and can be reactive and much more cost efficient than the more traditional larger agencies. So if you're a founder of a business who's needing some help with branding, packaging, retail design or event stands, or you're thinking of starting up a brand and you have no idea where to start from, the naming to strategy, then we'd love to chat to you over a cup of coffee or even something stronger. So please reach out to us for our website or Instagram and head to www.new-designs.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you and let's take it from here. If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreaks at holly.co. We're looking for the wonderful stories that only small businesses can tell and have created more information on exactly what we're looking for on our website holly.co. What have you got to lose? Get recording. I can't wait to have a listen. Now back to Conversations of Inspiration. Being part of the community. I think it has to be one of the best parts of the world that we live in. There is such warmth, such love for one another, such kinship. I think it's because we all have empathy for how hard and scary it can be running your own small business, that you're actually kind to one another. I spoke to Andy from Vinegar and Brown Paper for this podcast, and he said one of the greatest highs is being part of the community. I saw that he made you a beautiful bottle etched with community spirit, which I have to regram on my Instagram because it is absolutely 
absolutely stunning. I mean, everything he does is stunning. We're actually celebrating community at the Holly & Co workshop this month. And for those of you who don't know, we change the theme every month in our shop to highlight something that's important to us. But I have to say this has been one of the most fantastically favourite months as it's really brought our local community, St Margaret's, together, the online community together. And it's filled my heart with just this sense of what must have been in the past what everyone feels. Whereas today, I think we've lost that sense of community in so much of our worlds. Um, you've built this magnificent community through your small business and your social media. You also run a separate Instagram account called Hey There Maker, which showcased brilliant makers and this creative community. What advice would you give to anyone listening on growing their community? I think you've got to find something you're really passionate about and then stick with it rather than trying to be everything because I think if you're passionate about something it really shows the whole your vibe attracts your tribe thing like people will find you um and like you said you've got to be kind and warm um and you say kind and warm sometimes it's this word authentic is used yes. a lot isn't it and actually I think if you use the word authentic too much you're not actually being authentic and what strikes strikes me about yourself is you are just who you are. You are putting yourself out there. You're trying to build this community, aren't you? Do you think that there's something that you do differently to other people? Um, I don't necessarily think I do anything different. I just think I'm quite honest about everything, maybe sometimes too honest, but I'd rather be real than be pretending to be something I'm not. And and people, I think relatable or relatability is quite important as well because if people think they can relate to you you don't seem so alien and that usually gets the conversations going as well if they feel that they can talk to you about something or they're like oh yeah me too or yeah we're quite similar in that yeah and, and and we're living in a fake world at the moment aren't we so it's actually probably a joy for people when you're so honest and open that they can share what a shit day they're having or yeah. how they messed up or they're not getting orders and actually they feel like a failure at that point in time and that you're able to normalize it in a way or the community is able to yeah. normalize it I find that very interesting because running your own business can be very lonely and you've got a community around you, but there are, and I think this must be why it's really, really resonated with everybody, what you've created, because it is that virtual family, that virtual cheerleaders that you can go to, you can mess up, you can be vulnerable with. You must hear so many stories of the lower points in time in people's lives. Can you share some of the things that you've maybe heard or how um, building a community has really helped people along this journey? Yeah, there's, there's lots of people asking for advice and like where to source different things for like projects they want to make. There are people who ask for help if something's gone wrong with a customer. There are people that can help that way as well. What do you think you've created could become? If you think about in the next five years and in your March, you know, your husband's off skiing. Yeah. Um, what do you think that this Meet the Maker could blossom into? I would really love it if I could make some kind of event where people actually get to meet each other. Because there's a lot of makers out there who don't have creative friends who understand. I'm lucky that I've got friends who I've met through Not on the High Street. and We talk on Facebook like all the time. So I'm lucky that I've got them. So if something goes wrong, I know they'll understand it and they'll be able to help me sort out whatever is troubling me. But there are people out there who haven't got that. 
and like their friends or family might not understand. And I think it'd be nice for them to have like an opportunity to make more creative friends. In your community, you must have a real variety of um, industry. That must be very inspiring to yeah, watch. Definitely. We've got everybody, like every craft going, they're in there. I've got knitters, I've got potters, there's woodworkers, cross-stitchers, basically every craft. And they make me want to do everything. Like just before Christmas, I bought some knitting needles and I thought, oh, I'll have a go at this because I wanted to do something that I couldn't sell because it gets to the point where if I think if I'm taking time out to do something, it has to be something for the business that I could sell. I thought, well, if I could do this, I'll never be good enough to sell it and I can just use it to relax. So I got myself some knitting needles um, inspired by Lauren Aston because I wanted to make the crown that she had released as the free pattern. I didn't quite get that far. <laughs> I want to say I made a wonky scarf, but it's not even a scarf. It's a very firm piece of, let's say, f now fabric, maybe, <laughs> because I've done it so tight. It wasn't quite, no. quite as it was. But isn't that interesting? Because I think when you do run your own business, you believe that every waking moment should be for the good of the business. Yeah. Now, if you worked in a nine to five, you just wouldn't be thinking that way. But we, because we're always on, um, it's very interesting that we don't really think about that other side of our lives, do we? No. Because we love what we do and, and that's fine. So that's very interesting because I, um, my father gave uh, me his old piano and I booked in for piano lessons. I only managed to. But the whole idea was, I'm going to do something that I'm not going to be very good at, but I'm going to learn it just for the love of doing something that's not working yeah. and just for myself. So it's, it's an important thing, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. I'm going to pick it back up again, I think, because I would like to be able to knit people hats for Christmas maybe <laughs> I don't know if that's pushing it but well you um, can knit the hats and I could play carol on the piano when I there learn. we go yeah, there we go we've got a date we've got a date and any advice for those who want to build their social media who maybe don't feel confident within themselves which is probably all of us by the way because we all slightly fake it till we make it on social media but what advice would you have there um everyone has to start somewhere just scroll back to the start of my feed. It's embarrassing, <laughs> but everyone has to start somewhere. What was your first post, do you think? Can you remember? I think it's a picture of a hornet that was at my grandparents' house. And it's got a really horrible filter frame thing on it. Like when Instagram first came out. Oh, yes. One of those really awful like Polaroid frames and it's, the colouring is all off. But it's still there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mine was baubles, Christmas baubles. And it's quite funny, isn't it, when you go back and then you, you go forward and the journey that you've taken. Tell me about that through Instagram. Yeah. Well, well, to begin with, I just posted anything and everything. And like I said, it's embarrassing. Um, but I haven't deleted it because it's nice to see how far I've come and how I've changed. I don't think I really started using it in a business sense until maybe, well, over the last couple of years. Because I do the challenges and I think, oh, people might be interested in what I've done this weekend or they might be interested in this. But I think I've probably got a little bit too picky with my feed now. I think the key thing is not to put too much pressure on yourself. I know that's easier said than done, but there was a time where I was posting every day, even if I had nothing to say. Mm -hmm. I'd take a picture and be like, oh, here's a picture or something, just so I could say that I posted. And I think I've realised now that it's quality over quantity that people want. And over the last year, I've stopped posting every day. 
I will post maybe three times a week, usually Monday, Wednesday and Friday. And that's it. You don't need to be doing it all the time. And do you find yourself scrolling through and and do you find yourself on Instagram or on social media quite a bit now for your oh, business? all the time. All the time. Yeah, if I'm waiting for my printer to do something, I'll just have a quick scroll of Instagram. And then before I know it, my printer's done the job and I've not noticed. <laughs> I'm just still scrolling. <laughs> You're stuck on your phone. Do you you must am. get a lot of comments about being on your phone, do you? Yeah, I have been told to get off my phone before, but for people who don't understand what's going on, I'm like, no, it's my work. I'm not just scrolling for the fun of it, I promise. Well, it's it's incredible, isn't it? Because in a way, if you were a gardener and you were gardening, you wouldn't say, stop gardening. You know, it's because of this sort of phone and this, this uh, careful balance that we're playing at the moment about being on technology and it's sucking you into this sort of vortex and you're not really present in the real world. Yeah. Well, actually, your business is on your phone. So, so it's a it's a new way of working that we sort of slightly haven't caught up with. It is definitely, but it's also quite scary now that Instagram's added this little box where you can have a look and see how long a day you're spending on Instagram. And I think during Make a Week, I was spending about three hours a day scrolling, and it's like. I could have been doing something else. (laughs) (laughs) But But, you have created this community, haven't you? Yeah. Um, I'd love to touch on something that I deal with quite a bit, and I think actually everyone does, which is the negative side of social media. And I'm assuming you've not had the negative side, or have you experienced the negative side? I haven't had it so much as other people might have but last year I did an anonymous feedback after the last challenge because I wanted to know what people really thought um how I could improve or how I could help them further and whilst well nearly all of them were really nice and said I I did enough and they enjoyed it but I had a few people who said that I don't do enough and they didn't like the style of makers that I share and that my feed was far too pastel and that they tried really hard why on earth didn't they get featured And I'm like, well, I'm doing this for free. I don't get paid for this. It's my feed. I'll I'll post what I want. But I am lucky in that I don't get it. Negativity as much as, say, other people might. But the one thing that did make me really sad was there was one person who wrote on that. I wish they'd left their handle to say who they were. um, They started the challenge and somebody bullied them. And I thought... I was really upset about that because I couldn't reach out to them and say, are you okay? What's happened? The maker community is not like this, but they shouldn't have been made to feel that way. But it is interesting that we seem to forget all the really lovely people and all the nice things they said to us and just focus on the 1% who makes us question everything or may not like what we do, when really we should be focusing on the people who are being really nice. I'd love to hear about the future, your dreams and where you see yourself. Is there anything that you're dreaming up at the moment? Well, I would like to move further into the country at some point and I would like a little shed for a studio instead of having it in my house so that I have to make effort to walk down the garden. If it's raining, to go, oh, I'm just going to quickly go and reply to this email. I'm going to do that just so I can close the door on it a bit more. So I'd quite like that. But I've also got my eye on a building in our village. I've got no idea what it is. I can't find it anywhere on Google. I can't even find it on like Royal Mail postcode finder. All I know is it's got a date above the door and that's it. And it's derelict and empty and I want it. And (laughs) (laughs) I would like to turn that into like an open studio type thing where other makers can just come along if they want 
desk space to work on for a few hours and meet other people who and do that kind of thing as well and then it'll be a good opportunity to move my workshop somewhere else yeah so that's that but apart from any other goals I feel like I've kind of maxed out already because my two biggest goals were to get my house and to quit my job and I did that within a few months of each other so I kind of feel like like I haven't got any really big goals right now but that's where I'm at anyway. Oh, you feel lucky. Very lucky. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time today, Joanne. I know there will be so many makers and creators and small business owners listening who are very grateful to you for what you've created for them, allowing them to showcase their work, tell their stories, raise their profiles. At the end of my interview, I use the analogy that running your own small business is like being on this crazy roller coaster. You don't know what's going on, it goes up and it goes down. Can I ask you what has been your proudest moment, your greatest high so far? The greatest high was Googling how to write a resignation. Because I had no idea what I was doing. I thought I was just going to march into the office and say, right, I'm leaving, goodbye. And it was you had like, a whole Beyonce moment yeah, planned, did you? Yeah, and it was going to be amazing. And I, was like, and I read online, you have to give like four weeks notice or something. Or maybe that's what my contract said, I don't know. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm probably going to have to like figure this out. And then I was thought that my boss was going to be nice about it. But he wasn't, but that doesn't matter because it's done now. Um, so yeah, that was definitely one of the high moments. In, in that I could leave and I could go and do things that I wanted to do I didn't have to be there because somebody told me I had to be there and I had to do these horrible jobs because that's what I was paid to do I could go and make things that I enjoyed making and live the life that I want and know that if I don't go to work then I don't make any money but that I could be my own boss and I think that's what I really wanted yeah. the most and I think it was as well it reminds me of something that I say to a few people that um, it's about working on your own dreams rather than working on somebody else's and building them their empire. You can just build your own. I love it. And then on the flip side of that is the low. Have you had a low that stands out? Yeah, the, the high actually followed the low. Obviously, buying a house is very stressful anyway. But it all it came at a time where my sister wasn't very well, so she was diagnosed with cancer. And I think we had the diagnosis... And the email to say that our offer had been accepted in the same week. So it was kind of tinged with sadness and joy, but then I didn't really celebrate because I had other things going on. And coupled with that was, it was the worst year I've ever had at the day job. The relationships were just between staff and managers just completely broke down and got to the point I didn't want, I didn't actually want to get out of bed to go to work anymore. So that was the low, but then the high followed by goodbye. The resigning. I'm, yeah, the goodbye, goodbye, I'm leaving. <laughs> And if you could recommend a future guest for this podcast, someone who you think would inspire our listeners the most, who would it be? Lucy and Yak. They are amazing. I was lucky enough to hear their story at Creative All last year. And the story behind their brand is it's just inspiring. And they have absolute hearts of gold. And of course, they make the best dungarees. They do. They do. Actually, someone at Holly & Co. wants that to be our uniform. Yes, that's brilliant. And I'd love to hear their story firsthand. So finally, and I know you've prepared on the train down here, a beautiful letter to your younger self. And as I always say, it's one of my most favourite moments because I get back and just get to know you that little bit more. So I hand over to you. Right. Okay. Dear little Joanne, 
I'm sure you're too busy with your latest craft kit or project to listen to this, but if you're listening, I have some things I'd like to tell you. I know you prefer new pens or something that you can make over playing with dolls, and that's totally okay, and it will become a big part of you as you grow up. When you're older, you'll realise that this is actually something that you're supposed to be doing all along. Primary school will turn out to be your basic art training at the expense of all the other subjects. But you'll learn how to bind your own school books, use your first Apple computer and learn how to cut lino. Although from an educational point of view, it wasn't the best school, but it really did help to cement your love of everything creative. You won't be allowed to go to youth club and you'll never understand why. But in the grand scheme of things, that doesn't matter because you'll find an even better club to go to. You'll go to art club and it will be the best thing about middle school, even if it really isn't that cool. When you get to your last school, though, you encounter a teacher who will test you. He won't understand your current obsession with dragons, and you'll feel a little bit rubbish that you're not as good at drawing as the new girl who's just arrived. You'll sit in class with the new watercolour pencils your mum kindly bought you from the mail-order catalogue, which you're absolutely over the moon about. You'll be happy minding your own business, colouring a great big purple dragon who has a pretty mean-looking claw, and he'll just sit next to you to discuss your chosen GCSE options. Right there, he'll drop the bombshell that he doesn't think you should take out next year. You won't be able to believe your ears. You love this subject, but really don't worry. Don't spend too much longer dwelling on it. He isn't worth the time. You go ahead and take art anyway. Why should he stop you from doing something you love? Besides, he leaves that year anyway, so you won't have to put up with that kind of negativity. He will be replaced with the best teacher you could ask for. Mrs Parker will believe in you. She will do all that she can to nurture you and encourage your love of the subject. At the end of your GCSEs, you will have gone from being told not to take art to getting an A. However, you do throw a curveball when you tell your dad that you want to do horse and stable management at college when you finish school. Needless to say, no one saw that coming. You don't have a horse and you can't get to college if you wanted to. And where has this sudden interest come from? Obviously, you're going to be very annoyed at your dad when he says no and you go to the local sick form instead. But it really is for the best, I promise. You can go on to take art, product design, geography and business to A-level. You don't realise it now, but these will be part of your future. Well, maybe not geography so much, but you love to travel, so I guess that counts. You'll have absolutely no intention of going to university, but yet you'll find yourself enrolled on a graphic communication course and in your room in halls crying your eyes out because you're so homesick. But here you will learn so much. You will learn how to take a brief and that you can't always just do what you want because you like it. You will learn how to take feedback from people you respect, even if you don't agree with what they are saying. But mostly it will help you come out of your shell a little and grow more confident in yourself. Besides, if you chicken out and move back home, you'd have never have met your husband, so stick with it. It will be hard to begin with, but it will be worth it and you'll love living in Cardiff for those three years. When you leave in 2010 with your first class honours degree, you'll soon become a statistic. You won't find a job in a field you trained in, but you know what? That's okay. You'll go for job interviews that you don't really care about, but you do it because you think that you have to and you don't want to feel like you failed. You'll take a job on a pepper farm, though, while you're looking for design work and you'll end up staying for six years. People will constantly ask you when you're going to get a proper job and it will really wind you up because it makes you feel like you failed yourself, but you haven't. You're secretly cooking up a plan to be your own boss. You won't realise it until two years in, but that's what you're going to do. You're going to lead a double life. And believe it or not, a chance tweet while scrolling on Twitter is going to be the start of something big. It's going to be hard, but since when has that stopped you? If you want it enough, you can make it happen. Opportunities will come your way. They will be scary. They will be costly. But jump at them. Make the investment. Do the research. Trust your gut. Draw up the designs and go for it with all that you've got. I believe in you, little Joanne. Lots of love. Older Joanne. Oh. <laughs> 
It's so emotional, isn't it, when you think back. When do you last time did you ever think back to how far you've come? And, you know, we, we've got Mrs. Parker to thank, haven't we, for actually giving you that encouragement that you were good enough and you've had this journey and you land now giving back to people as much as she gave to you. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful letter. And I thank you very much. And I think we need a cuddle now, don't we? We do. We do. Let's have a big cuddle. Oh. Thanks, NatWest, again for sponsoring this podcast. It's great to partner with an organisation that believes in empowering people in business. That's why they developed the NatWest Business Hub. It's full of information, tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals. Go to natwestbusinesshub.com to get started. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations of Inspiration. I want as many people as possible to believe that they can build a business doing what they love. So could I ask a favour? If you like what you're listening to, would you rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast provider? It will help others find this podcast and may just be the inspiration they need to follow their dreams. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come